Hey, welcome Real Life Family. It is good that you get to see me this morning. I really wish I could see you. In fact, I can say on behalf of our whole team, we miss seeing you all at church. And so I know you're technically at church this morning, but we're going to have a little bit of fun as we're kicking off the service because we want to see you. We want to see what church looks like for you. And we're going to spice it up a little bit and have some fun. We're actually going to give away a free dinner, something nice delivered to you this next week to one person that's going to win. And the way you're going to win that free dinner is you are going to take a picture of yourself right now, um, wherever you're at, watching church, kind of what does your church setup look like, and send it in via email or text to the email or phone on screen. And then uh, we're going to pick one person out of there, and we're going to bless you with uh, dinner delivered to your door this week. And we'll coordinate with you a night that'll work for you and allergies and all that good stuff. But we're just going to have some fun. So let us know what church looks like for you. Um, one of the things that's really neat is that we are reaching a, a bigger audience. We're reaching people from all over the place um, around uh, not only just Pullman and the Palouse and our community here, but well beyond our original um, kind of congregation. We now have uh, family and friends of family watching church and then just new folks jumping on board uh, just finding us on social media and stuff. And so what's pretty cool is we've got people watching from California, all throughout Washington State, North Idaho, all around there. We've got people watching in Canada and Vancouver and Banff and Canmore and Ontario. We've got people watching in Maine. We've got people in Virginia and Tennessee and Arkansas and Florida and a, a bunch of places in between. And so it's really, really cool that we have so many people from all around the area, in addition to the folks in our regular real life family here in the Palouse that are uh, joining us for church every Sunday. And so I just want to say uh, welcome. Thanks for joining us. And I want you to know that our desire is the same for you as it is for everybody we would normally see on a Sunday morning. Number one, thanks for coming. Number two, we want to get to know you and we want to help you get plugged into community and a discipleship relationship. And so um, we're going to encourage you to get plugged into a local church if you're outside of our immediate area. We're also going to encourage you to get plugged into an online home group or a virtual group. And we've got a lot of those going on that we would love to help you get bridged into uh, no matter where you live. And so one of the things that's really neat about our congregation, our real life family here in Pullman is... Because of our uh, connection with WSU and SEL in our town, we have a lot of people from all around the country and all around the world normally here in our town and in our home groups. And so it's kind of, kind of a cool thing, I think, is that most of the folks as, that are a part of our real life family are used to uh, meeting a lot of people from around the country and around the world. And so for those of you that are in our regular uh, real life uh, home groups and you're meeting online, don't be surprised if you start seeing some people join your groups that are uh, maybe from outside the area. In fact, if you know of someone that's a, a relative or a friend or someone you've connected with over the years that maybe they could have never come to home group before, but now because of technology, you could invite them to join your group, I would encourage you to do it. And let's Let's uh, continue to build community and reach out and try and make disciples. And so that's, that's the thing is our vision as a church hasn't changed and it won't change. It's the same now as it always has been. Our vision and the reason we exist is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. And so 
just because of the change in the um, kind of the venue and the methodology, it certainly doesn't change what we're about and what we're committed to. And so we just want to say thanks for joining us. Um, and we would love for you to get more involved and get connected in an online group. So the information about uh, Adam, our home groups pastor, is going to be on screen. If you've got any questions about getting plugged into a group, he is your guy to talk to. In fact, we're also trying to find folks to host online groups, only, uh, not only home groups, but also some men-specific groups and some ladies-specific groups. And if you're interested in hosting one of those and you've got a couple of guys or a couple of gals and you think you could get a group going, get a hold of Adam and he would love to help you get that off the ground. All right, so let's uh, switch gears and get going, shall we, with the message this morning. Um, as we jump in and kind of switch gears, I want to ask you a question. And in the privacy of your own home, just kind of sitting where you're sitting right now, I want you to think about this question and I want you to actually answer it, okay? Are you ready for the question? Here it is. Have you ever felt like you didn't fit in? Have you ever felt like you didn't fit in? Maybe it was the family that you grew up in and uh, the just kind of the environment and it just felt like you know, maybe even people teased you like you might have been uh, the milkman was your dad or something like you because you didn't look like your siblings or there was something different about you and, and you wondered if you fit even in your own family. Maybe it was peer groups that you were trying to be a part of later in life. Maybe it's now even just coworkers and people that you work with that, you, that you're trying to fit in with, but it just doesn't feel like you click or belong. The truth is, I think probably all of us have wrestled with this feeling of not fitting in or not belonging and really wanting to at different times in our lives. And, and this desire, this drive to belong, this drive to fit in over the years has led people to do all sorts of unhealthy things. It's caused people to find themselves in circumstances doing things that they never really wanted to do. They get involved with drugs or, or behavior that's inappropriate or, or alcohol or having sex outside of marriage or, or just being a part of people and things that, that aren't really what they ever wanted to do, but they're driven to belong and to fit in. And it's not just young people that are affected by this need or this desire to belong and fit in. It's a universal drive. It's a universal appeal. In fact, people right now all around our country and in our community still have have continued to make choices about uh, how they spend their money, the, the cars that they buy, the houses that they buy, the, the wardrobes that are well outside of their budget, the things that they spend their time and money and effort and energy on. There's so much behind that that's driven by this desire to belong and to fit in, right? And it's nothing new. The story that we're going to get into this morning is going to help us see from a different perspective a specific person who knew what it was like not to fit in. In the story this morning, we're going to meet a young boy who didn't belong, who knew what it was like to be a misfit, to not click, to not connect. But we're also going to see a glimpse into what God thought about this young boy. And we're going to get a snapshot of some of the purpose and plans that God had in mind 
for this young boy that grew up thinking that he didn't fit in and didn't belong. And, and as we go through the story this morning, I want you to see for yourself and imagine you seeing how God feels about you. Maybe getting a glimpse of God's plans and purpose for you personally as we go through this story as well. So um, hang in there with me. I'm going to jump in. And so we have been going through Acts and we've been looking at the book of Acts. And so we've been looking at lately Acts uh, 15, just a couple weeks ago uh, before Easter, we finished up Acts 15. And the story that we're looking at this morning picks up um, kind of at the end of Acts 15. Um, Paul and Barnabas have come back to Antioch of Syria. And so they had gone all the way back to Jerusalem. They'd gone on this big missionary journey. They'd returned to Jerusalem. They had a big council, a big meeting with the apostles in Jerusalem to sort out once and for all if it was okay for the, if it was okay for the Gentiles to receive salvation, if it was okay for them to receive the Holy Spirit without becoming Jewish. And so they, they sorted that out once and for all with this council, and they left Jerusalem with this letter, this, this special scroll, this letter that said once and for all that the apostles approved that the Gentiles could receive salvation and receive the same Holy Spirit, the same one that the Jews had received. And so Paul and Barnabas were about to set out from Antioch of Syria to go back to these places with this special letter to share this great news and check on all these people in these places where they had planted these churches. But it seems like before they could actually set out on this new adventure, before they could get out and on their way, trouble was brewing a little bit. And that's kind of where we're going to pick up the story in the text this morning. In Acts 15, at the end of the chapter in verse 36, it goes like this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where, they, uh, where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. And Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it was wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia. And he had not continued with him in the work. And they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here we learn something really interesting about Paul in this little exchange. We see that for Paul, loyalty is huge. We don't know exactly what happened with him and Mark and the disagreement and why they parted ways, but it rubbed Paul so much the wrong way that he wasn't willing to take a chance on Mark again. He, he had deserted him before and he wasn't willing to take him out again, so much so that it caused him to part ways with his dear friend Barnabas. They had spent so much time together. And so the beginning of this story this morning, we see these two guys actually part ways and, and, and they go agree to take this good news about the Gentiles and salvation and the Spirit coming to the Gentiles. And, and Barnabas and... John Mark leave by boat out back to Cyprus, the island, and then Paul and Silas leave Antioch of Syria, heading north on foot. And so it's a journey that's going to take them north out of um, Israel, up through Syria, and then curve around to the west, back towards those other towns that they had been in a few years before. And so the rest of the story that I want to share with you this morning comes out of Acts 16, really just the first five verses. 
but I want to do it a little bit differently. I want to tell it to you more like a narrative. Um, the passages are going to be in your uh, sermon notes, and you're going to get into them a little bit more in depth in your home groups this week. But for this morning, I want to tell you a little bit more of the story um, and the context that might have been going on behind the text to kind of draw out and paint a picture of something that's pretty unique and extraordinary going on. And I had a chance to learn this context and background and history a couple of years ago on a trip to Turkey uh, with a bunch of amazing folks. And so this morning, that's what I'm going to do is I'm going to share it with you as the story goes. And so these guys, Paul and Silas, are headed back towards these two little towns called Lystra and Derby. They're in the region of Galatia, and they really weren't a big deal even back in the day. They were small towns, and there was nothing really significant. There was no real huge reason why they were going to go there. And when I was there in June of 2018, they still weren't big deals. Even in the world of archaeology, Lystra still hasn't even been excavated. It's just a huge hill, this big mound, underneath which is the remnants of the city or the town of Lystra. And that big mound is called a tell because it tells you that there's something there in archaeology. And one day, back in June of 2018, uh, myself and a group of awesome people, we hiked into Lystra on a super hot day on a dusty road, very much like the road that Paul and Silas would have hiked on and walked in as they walked into Lystra. For me, that was my first time ever going to Lystra, but for Paul and Silas, it, it, it wasn't. For Paul, he had actually been to Lystra before, if you remember we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Paul and Barnabas actually had been to Lystra before. The reason they ended up in Lystra at all was because they were in a city further west, a bigger city called Iconium. In Iconium, they were mistaken as Greek gods, Zeus and Hermes. And, and, and we talked about the story about Bacchus and Philemon a couple of weeks ago. If you missed that, go back and listen to that one. It's a great story. And so they're in Iconium, and then the crowd flips on them, and there's this plot to kill Paul. And so they flee the town, and they find themselves in this little area around Lystra. And in Lystra, things are going well. They're doing miracles. They're healing. They're teaching about Jesus until the people from Iconium track them down, find them in Lystra, and they flip the crowd against them. And on a dime, the mob flips, and all of a sudden, Paul is stoned. What they thought really was stoned to death and drug outside of the city and left for dead. And it's in this town, this little area around Lystra, that Paul, nearly dead, got up and went back to town and preached about Jesus. Now, fast forward a couple years, and Paul's back in Lystra, this time with Silas, and this time walking into the city from the east, walking into the west side of the city a couple years later. And as he's walking into the city, there's some things that were happening in the city that there's no way Paul could have known about. Long before he even knew Lystra existed was that there was a young woman growing up there. And this woman was Jewish, and her story was a really difficult one. Because you see, she fell in love with a Greek man, a man that was not a follower of Jesus. And the truth is, I don't know how they came to be. I don't know how they came to be in love or to be together. I don't know if, if she married him, if he wanted to marry her, if they fell in love with each other, if he bought her, if he seduced her, if something else happened. We just don't know. But, but probably 
because she was Jewish, she would have went to her rabbi. And she would have went to her rabbi and she would have said, Rabbi, I have to tell you about this man, this man that I've met. I, I love him and, and, and he's, he's not Jewish, but, but I've talked to him about my faith and, and I've told him what I believe and, and he said that he's okay with my faith. In fact, he said, he, even though he doesn't want to convert, he doesn't want to, to worship the God that I worship, he said it's okay and he won't interfere. He won't get in the way. He'll let me keep worshiping. And the rabbi would have looked at this young woman and probably said something like, Child, you don't want to do this. You don't want to do this. You need to remember it's against Torah. You know that we don't plant two different seeds. This is only going to bring you harm and us as a community. It's not going to be good. But time passes, and she has his baby. We don't know if they got married and had the baby, or if, if they had the baby and then got married, or, or if they had some combination of that and had the baby, and then he bailed and, and forgot all about her and, and the baby. We, we don't know what happened, but we know for sure as a Jewish woman with this new baby boy, for sure now she would have gone to her rabbi and said, Rabbi, look, this is my son. Isn't he amazing? And the rabbi would have said, yes. Yeah, he's amazing. And the rabbi would have blessed him because rabbis love babies. And she would have asked the rabbi to circumcise her son on the eighth day as was their custom, as was the law. And the rabbi would have had to say to her, we can't do that. Remember, it's against Torah. We can't do that. It's against our laws. I tried to warn you. You know that our law says that you can't, you can't intermingle, you can't mix with someone else that's not of our faith, that's not of our religion. And, and, and when you enter into this sort of a forbidden relationship, this sort of a forbidden marriage, it's going to affect your offspring to the 10th generation. Like this has big implications. And the rabbi would have told her as much as as much as I hate to say it to you, and it pains me to say it to you, you've you got to know your son, he's a mumser. Well, in the world we live in, that word doesn't really mean anything to us, but we certainly know what it means. We know all about mumsers. We just don't call them that nowadays. In the world we live in, when children are born this way, we call them a bastard. We call them an unwanted stepchild. They're the kids that grow up hearing in their own family that they were a mistake. Actually being told that they were a mistake. And so here in this town in Lystra, here's this little boy growing up as a mumser, as a misfit. He, he's not a Jew, and he's, he's not a Gentile. He, he can't read Torah. He can't go to the synagogue. He can't go to Jerusalem to the temple ever. He, he can't even go into the Gentile courts ever. There's no birthday parties, no anniversaries, no celebrations. It's different for him, and, and it will always be different for him. He, he'll never be with this group or with this group. He'll always know that he doesn't fit with any. 
And this little boy that doesn't fit in, that knows how to feel out of place, grows up in Lystra, and somehow this little boy learns the Word of God. Maybe he snuck into the courtyard on a Sunday when a rabbi was reading the scroll and he listened and memorized and recited and said over in his mind and tried to glean whatever teaching he could. Maybe he uh, sat outside a synagogue window and listened as the rabbis taught the students. Maybe he gleaned from his mom and his grandma every little thing he could, but somehow this little boy grew up learning the text. And this little boy was in Lystra when Paul and Barnabas came there the first time. When Paul and Barnabas came in and he noticed that Paul stood out, that he was this new rabbi that came to town. He was loud. He was the speaker. He was the one you remember that they thought was Hermes, the, the god of the messenger, the god that spoke for Zeus. Like they mistook him as Hermes because Paul had a boisterous voice and he preached with fire and he, he was excited to share the good news about Jesus. And, and this little boy, he got to see that Paul come into his town. And he, he saw Paul do miracles and the whole town get riled up and go nuts. And then he saw the whole mob turn against him to the point where he was stoned and, and cast down and drug outside of the city gates. And you got to be wondering, had Paul already taught that in Christ there was no Jew there was no Greek, there was no slave, there was no free, that in Christ, everybody belonged. Had this little boy already heard Paul teach these things as he saw him be stoned and drug outside of the city, would he have been sinking back going, no, there goes my hope. There goes the one guy that was saying something that fit for me. But then much to his surprise, he would have saw Paul come back in bloodied and beaten and come back in to teach again. But then quickly he was gone. Six weeks later, him and Barnabas come back to Lystra and they're there for just a short time and then gone again. And this little boy has to have this picture of this Paul in his mind wondering, where did he go? What happened to him? What about the message that he preached? It wasn't true. I can't remember certain parts of it. And now we fast forward two or three years later and all of a sudden this little boy in this town in Lystra sees this man, Paul, come back to town. Maybe Paul came back in and this time he went to a rabbi and he went to ask the rabbi if there were any disciples ready to follow him. Paul, Paul would have talked about how he needed young men that he could teach and equip and prepare and take with him to help equip these other disciples in these other towns and villages that they had started these churches in. This time it seemed like Paul was looking for disciples and maybe it would have been in a conversation like that near a city gate or in a town square where Paul would have looked across and saw this young guy, this young guy that was used to being unnoticed, who almost shrunk with inside himself. It was used to not being picked, not being chosen, looked over by the rabbis, knew that he didn't fit in and didn't belong. Maybe it was at a time like that that Paul looked over and noticed him and said to the rabbi, what about that guy over there? What about that young man over there? And the rabbi would have scoffed and said, oh, you don't want him. He's a mumser. He's a mumser. 
weird thing about him as a mumser, though, is kind of unique, is he does know the text. I wonder if Paul would have been scratching his head thinking, man, that sounds familiar. Huh, a mumser that knows the text. I love that. That's amazing. You know, that's the same thing they said about Jesus, a mumser that knows the text. I need to meet this young guy. And Paul would have walked across the courtyard, and, and as he got closer to this young boy, reaching out with these weathered hands that had seen a thousand miles on the, on the back roads, and this sun-bleached face and wrinkles, and, and he would have just reached out to put a hand on this young boy and said, excuse me, are you Timothy? And that, that boy would have looked up and he would have said, yeah. Timothy, I'm Paul. Oh, I know who you are, he would have said. I, I know all about you. I, I know all there is to know about you. I remember all the times that you've been here and the things that you taught and the things that you said. I know you. And Paul would have said, I think I want you to come and follow me. And bubbling up with excitement inside, this, this excitement and terror, and, and just fear and frustration and joy and grief all at the same time because on the one hand, he's so excited that he's about to be picked. On the other hand, he knows he can't because then he says to Paul, you, you, don't, you don't understand. You can't pick me. I'm a mumser. I, I don't fit in. I can't go with you. I can't be with you. And, and Paul would have said, with all the intensity that he could muster up, looking him right in the eyes, he would have said, no, you're not. You're not a mumser in Christ. There are no mumsers in Christ. You belong. And from somewhere deep within, this joy wells up inside of Timothy. And, and from the tip of his toes, all the way through his body, up to the top of his head, he would have been just full of joy and excitement. And he would have just stopped and left Paul right on the spot, run to go and tell his mom and to said to his mom, you don't understand, mom, listen, listen, listen. Like, you've got to hear this. Get grandma in here. She's got to hear this too. I've been picked. I've been picked. Paul, do you remember Paul? The, the Paul that was here a couple years ago, the guy that was stoned, the guy that taught the stuff, that did the miracle, that said, he picked me. And he wants me to go and follow him. Imagine the joy his mother must have felt as the shame just washed away. This mistake she had made, this thing she thought she had done to her son that could never be undone had just been undone. He gets to be a disciple. Some of you this morning need to hear that you're not a mistake. Some of you this morning need to hear that you're not a misfit. You're not a person that doesn't belong, that doesn't have a home, that doesn't have a family, that doesn't fit where you're at, right? You need to hear that God loves you, that God wants you, that you belong in God's family, and His heart's desire is for you to answer the call to follow His Son, Jesus. His deepest desire is for you to be a disciple of Jesus and learn how to become like Him. To be changed and transformed and taught and equipped and to grow and to belong.
to the family of God. The truth is, some of you, you've been at this for a long time. You, You know that God loves you. You know that God wants you to be a disciple, but you've been on the bench for so long. You've been spectating as a Christian. You've been sitting at a distance watching other people grow around you, watching other people become more immersed and involved in the family and serving and growing in their faith. And you've been like, I I know I have a spot, right? But you've never really got in the game. So this morning, whether this is the first time ever that you're hearing that you have a home, that you have a family, that God loves you, and wants you to follow his son Jesus, or whether you've known about it for years, today is the day to get off of the bench and to get in the game. To get involved in the family of God, to to get up like young Timothy and actually put your feet to the path following a disciple maker. In our church, we train and equip our home group leaders and our small group leaders to make disciples. We give you the tools and the resources and the supplies and the coaching and the encouragement to make disciples. And there are some of you out there that need a disciple maker. We want to help you get connected with a disciple maker. That's going to be getting involved in an online group right now. Get involved with an online men's group. Get involved in an online ladies group. That's going to be getting involved with a disciple maker. And the first place to go to get that going is going to be get a hold of Adam. And his stuff's going to be on the screen. He will help you get connected with someone that wants to mentor and disciple you. Don't let another day go by sitting on the bench watching other people grow wishing you knew what it was like to fit in the family of God. Answer the call today. Will you come and follow Jesus? Well, this morning, we're going to finish uh, with our service this morning the same way we finish every week. We're going to take some time to reflect and have communion together. And so, Uh, Now's a great time to go and grab your elements for communion. I'm going to do the same, and then we're going to take communion together as a family. Well, at Real Life, we do take communion every week, and it's important to us. Um, We say when we're gathered together at church that we have an open table. We mean that anybody who wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus with us is welcome to take communion with us. We do that when we're at church, and the same thing is true when we're meeting like this from home to home. Anybody who wants to celebrate with us what uh, what Jesus accomplished on the cross, um, we would encourage you to take communion with us, and we'll be all taking it together. And so for many of you, this is one of the first times, or maybe the first time, you've ever taken communion at home with your family or your spouse, or maybe just by yourself. And so make sure you've got some bread and uh, juice and take communion with us this morning. So we do this every week because it helps us remember that we are invited into the family of God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. That that our sins are forgiven, but also through the resurrection, death is conquered once and for all. So not only are we forgiven and can have a right relationship with God day by day right now through what Christ accomplished, we also can be a part of God's family forever because of what he accomplished through the resurrection. And so we remember those things as we take communion together. So we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, 
he took bread and he broke it and he gave thanks for it. And he said that this bread represents his body, which is broken for us. So as often as we get together, let's eat the bread in remembrance of him. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup represents a new covenant, which is uh, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. And so as often as we drink this cup, let's remember that. Go ahead and bow your heads and pray with me as we finish this morning. God, we love you. You are a good, good God. And we thank you so much for your son. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for your spirit, Lord, that all of those uh, things help uh, us and guide us and encourage us and spur us on. Lord, help us to become more like you individually and help us as a church, Lord, even during these times to be united and uh, representing you well in all of our ways. And we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just are super glad that you joined us this morning. Thanks for being a part of our services here at Real Life Church in Pullman. We've got Jesus Time devotionals that I do every weekday morning at 8 a.m. You can jump on my Facebook or our church Facebook and get a little bit of time in the Word every morning. We've also got some really fun worship that we do periodically, and then of course services on Sunday. And so we would just uh, encourage you to keep plugging in and uh, being fed and encouraged during these times apart. So we'll see you soon.